Welcome to the Fitbox Podcast. This is your host, Joseph Frankie. Glad you're here listening. On our podcast, we talk about two main things. First and foremost, we interview members of Fitbox so that way you can hear their stories about how they're repaying debt, how they're saving for retirement, buying homes, all this type of stuff, really to give you motivation and some different ideas. That's the first thing we talk about. The second thing our podcast do is we take individual finance topics and go through them in more detail so that way you can say, does this apply to me and how does this apply to my plan? So if you have questions or you want to sign up for Fitbucks, you can do so in the show notes, fitbucks.com, build your profile, schedule a call. We'll be talking to you soon. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to another podcast episode. If you're watching on YouTube, welcome. Also, we have a fantastic episode today. This has been one that a lot of you have asked me to do, and I've, I've talked about bits and pieces of this, but I've always been reluctant because, uh, especially like on like Facebook or something, when that, somebody asked me to comment about this, I, I tend to just shy away from it. And that is, what is the fix to the student loan crisis? Like, what are the solutions to the student loan crisis? And the reason why I have tended to shy away from it is because it's extremely complex okay and it's not just like a a one size fits all type of solution like they should just do this this and this and uh that's why i don't go into it especially in like text on responses and social media but today what i'm going to do is actually deep dive into it because it's a combination of data analytics and it's a piece that at fitbucks we really really focus on and that is what's called human capital i'm gonna dive deeper into that and so it's data analytics, which the government has a ton of, and common sense. You know, combine the two and boom, we have a solution to the student loan crisis. Now, that is what we're going to be talking today. Before we jump into it, uh, first and foremost, if you're listening on the podcast, make sure to you know subscribe to this with your friends. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure to, to subscribe to the channel for more videos and whatnot. Um, and with that, let's jump into it. Like I said, there's going to be four things that I touch on today. The first one is setting a max that you can get in terms of your student loans. Now, this isn't like a novel concept, right? Like you, you guys can see that all over the place on the internet. Like what ended up happening, for example, with grad, grad loans in 2010 when the uh, Obama administration, they uncapped how much you can get for grad loans, right? And grad school prices went through the roofs and like tuition went through the roof, all that stuff, right? And so there's been a cry like cap, cap it again. So what I'm saying in, in solution number one is not like the, the, the ice, like the, the, the novel idea. What it is, is how do you set the cap? Okay. And that's human capital. And why do we talk? Why do I want to talk about human capital and how do we price this thing? It's because with, with Fitbox and our technology, what we're doing for younger individuals, we're looking at human capital, which is a projection of your income and the risk of that income. Now, I'm not going to go deep into what human capital is because we've done other podcasts on that, but the government can use this. So like, let's just say you're an undergrad and you're thinking about getting a physical therapy degree or doctorate or occupational doctorate, uh, occupational therapy, I should say, sorry, speech language, speech language pathologist, PA, NP, whatever it is. So you're thinking about going to grad school. You can literally say, here's a projection of someone's income that's going to graduate from this. What's the risk of that income and get a value of what that human capital is today. And that's great feedback for students. 
And I want to give you an example of how that would work because now you can say how much money should I be taking out and whatnot. But then you can also do the same thing for undergrads and different types of majors and whatnot. So like English major versus math major, all these different types of things. You can do the same thing. Okay. But this is how, how it would work is, and actually let me back up before I even say this is how it would work. Let me show you, tell you how it actually works right now. And again, I have other podcasts that go into deeper details into this. But basically right now it's just a one size fits all. Like you have a pulse, you're going to college, you're, you're getting a loan. And for grad school, for example, it's uncapped. And so it's like, okay, that, that system obviously doesn't work. Um, I mean, I just saw statistics. It's something like 28% of people that are in school uh, in undergrad don't even know they have a loan. Like, how does that how does that happen? Like they don't even know they own a loan or have a loan and they have to pay something back. Like, it's amazing. But anyways, this is a type of feedback that we can get and have to give people and we can give them that feedback based on the loans. What I mean by that, I'll give you an example. And I'll link to this because th we did an article based on these numbers too. So I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes and then on the, in the comments on Facebook or on uh, YouTube. Um, but let's just say I, I'm comparing an undergrad versus saying, hey, I'm thinking about getting my DBT. Uh, for those of you that don't know what that is, it's a doctorate in physical therapy. When we look at an undergrad, the average undergrad makes about $50,000 a year. So if we run our technology and say, what's the, the present value of his future income and the risk of that income? Basically, what is the value of his human capital? It comes out, I'm just going to round the numbers. It comes out to about a million dollars. Okay. So that's how much a, an average, average uh, undergraduate degree is worth. Okay. Now, what I can do is say, okay, well, as a DPT, like if I get my degree and my doctorate and I become a physical therapist based on that income and more importantly, what is the risk to that income? The present value of that, my human capital goes from a million to 1.8 million. So there's a difference of $800,000. Now I can see, hey, over you know today's value of this degree is about $800,000. And then the government can come in and say, what do we want to cap the loan at? Okay, do we cap it at 10% of whatever that value is? So let's just say that $800,000 increase in value. It's like, look, if that's the case, we're going to cap how much you can get for grad school at $80,000. Now, is that the exact relation? Maybe not. Maybe it's like, hey, $800,000, we're going to cap it at uh, a, a 5X, which would be basically $160,000 is the max you can get, which in my opinion, it would be too high. I, I always shoot for a 10x return on my investments, right? So that's why I use 10. So if the present value of the DPT degree is $800,000, then the max I should be able to get in federal loans is $80,000. And you can do that for every degree out there. We have the data. Tr trust me, we at Fitbucks have the data. So I know the government has the data because this is one of the things that we're, we're valuing in this is saying, and the Fitbox platform and our technology, we take into account your human capital. As part of that, it's the profession. So we actually are getting the value of the human capital for the profession and each profession, and each degree. So we know the data is out there. And we can do that across the board, all across the board, for every profession, every major, everything. And so it's like, well, then you get the people that would be against that, right? One, it would be like, well, what happens if, you know, they want to get a degree that's, only worth like 400 grand. Okay, great. The cap is $40,000. Well, what happens if the school charges more? Well, that's up to the individual at that point. Do they want to take out more in loans or not? 
And if they say, yes, I do, then they have to go to a private company to do that. The federal government is saying, no, this is what we are investing for the people into our economy. We're trying to make our economy grow. This is what we say is the return we want for our economy and for just the public in general. Therefore, the cap you can get on federal loans is X. Now, if you want more, like I said, go get a private loan and let them take the risk. Because you might decide, for example, okay, I look at everything in a, in a risk versus return investment type of mind frame. And I'll give you an example. So like if you said to somebody, hey, <clears throat> like if you invest $100,000, you might make $10,000. And that's investment A, but you could also lose $50,000. Versus investment B that you can make $9,000, so $1,000 less than the first investment, but the most you can lose is 5,000. Most people are gonna go with investment number B, right? Because it's only $1,000 less, but with a lot less risk, okay? The same thing goes with like the human capital. You might say something like, hey, most people would, would wanna get that degree at $80,000 because it, ha it increases my value by $800,000. That's a good return, okay? But just like investments, some people might say, yeah, I want, I want investment A. I want to go for $10,000. Even though I might lose more, that extra $1,000 means a lot to me. Everybody's different. They can make the choice. And, and with student loans, that might be the case where the government might say, hey, for your DPT, you can only get $80,000 in, in federal student loans. But that doesn't stop you from getting another 50, 60, 70, 80, whatever it is in private loans. You can, you can go do that. And if the private lender wants to take that risk, that, that's between you and the private lender. So that shouldn't be an excuse of why we shouldn't be, be doing this. The other party that would be really pissed off about this is universities because universities just wouldn't be able to just charge outrageous tuition prices for all these different majors and whatnot. So they might see their revenue go down, but in terms of the federal government, their job is not to generate revenue for private parties and nonprofits, and which basically, I say nonprofits or universities. If you guys have heard my mother podcast, they're not nonprofits, they're all for profit. Ever talk to an administrator at a university, they're all about money, right? So anyways that's a that's a tangent um but that's that's the solution number one is cap the loans which that oh, that a piece by itself is not like extraordinary that's nothing new it's how you're capping the loans and it's based on the human capital that the, the degree or the major or whatnot that the person is going to go get what's the projected income for that major or that degree and what value does that create today? And then you cap it as a percentage of that value. And that's automatic feedback to the students to let them know, hey, what you're getting into, is it worth it? You know, this is what it's gonna be worth when you graduate. Not only that, but then it's gonna make it affordable because eventually what's gonna happen is you're gonna have tuition prices actually starting to drop because schools are gonna to have to drop it for certain classes and certain courses. So tuition for, you know, X, Y, Z degree might be less than X, you know, A, B, C degree. That's fine. That's just a feedback mechanism to the public. It's not a bad thing. Like, I don't know why, like, some of these, like, like universities or activists I talked to was like, no, it has to be the same price for everybody. Why? Like, that makes no sense. So anyways, that is the first solution to the student loan crisis. The second one, the second solution to the student loan crisis is, again, having the private lender okay and i touched on this before as part of the first one when you go over like it's your decision on if you want to go over 
And those private lenders would have to come back to the market, especially for grad school. A lot of them have exited the market. Yes, you can get a student loan refinance after you graduate, but for in school, it only represents like 6% of the market for private lenders. Um, for those of you that don't know, in 2010, the Obama administration basically said that they wanted to take over the student loan industry, and that's what they did. So the federal government's about 94% of student loans now, okay? So there has to be more of a private lender in the area, that presence again, because again, that's also feedback. Like if a private lender, you go to a private lender, let's just say we had this system where the government tells me, hey, based on your degree, the max you can get is $50,000 in federal student loans. And so then I go to a private lender and they say, no, we're not going to give you any, any money based on the degree that you're going, going for. That should probably be a red flag to you, right? Like I, I shouldn't be taking out this much in debt for this degree. The income I'm going to be getting from it is not going to be enough for me to pay this thing off. Right? That's great feedback. Or maybe it's like, hey, if you take out $10,000 in a private loan, your interest rate might be 5%. But if you take out like $40,000 in private loans, maybe your interest rate's like 9%. Well, that's a feedback. Hey, at 10% or at $10,000, the interest rate is, is pretty low. I could probably, they're telling me I could probably afford that. And that is a good investment. But all of a sudden, if I take out 40,000, my interest rate's like 10%. That's basically their feedback to you saying, it's not a good investment. Like, this is an investment in yourself. Make a big decision. And I get that whole argument. Like, I want to do a great career. I want to practice what I want to be in. But like I said, hopefully if this, these mechanisms are out there and the private lenders price the loans that way and, and potentially denied people that they didn't view that the prospects as being good, then that would help drive down the cost of tuition at some of these schools for, at the universities. And then it would be affordable because then you can go, right? And you wouldn't need, you know, 200 grand for, you know, a, a degree that pays you $30,000 a year or $40,000 a year. Okay, so that's solution number two. So again, the first two solutions kind of go together. Um, so the first solution to the student loan crisis was capping the loans based on the increase of human capital that you can expect from getting that degree. And again, the human capital is a projection of your income and the risk to that income. So it's a great feedback mechanism for students. The second solution to the, to the student loan crisis is making sure that private lenders were there in the market, that if people wanted to choose to take out more than what they could get in federal loans, they had that option, but had the private lenders being able to price the risk or price the loan based on the risk that they perceive. So for example, like less, if you took out less loan, it's at a lower interest rate and the more loan you get, the higher the interest rates. Okay. This is, again, a lot of this is common sense. Like a lot of you, like the part that's not common sense and the big data is in solution number one, when we tie it to human capital. But this part, like with number two, with the private lenders, anybody that's been in finance, it's like, yeah, that's common sense. We don't do that. Like when I sit down, by the way, before I go into solution number three and four, when I talk to finance people about how the student loan industry is actually set up, they just scratch their head like, who, why would anybody set this up this way? This makes no sense, right? And it, it's not common sense, but anyways, solution to the student loan crisis, number three, and a lot of you are going to love this one. And I did, I did an entire podcast on this. That's how much how passionate I am about this. 0% interest rates on federal loans. I will repeat that. 
interest rates. Why? Because if we're pricing these things on human capital and, the, and people are going to school and increasing their value of human capital, that has a direct economic impact on the entire country. And if the entire country's economic impact is positive, that means the government is going to be making money on taxes in other forms, whether it be sales taxes, income taxes, corporate taxes, whatever it is. They don't need the interest on the student loans. Okay, they don't need the interest. And I did an entire podcast about how this is a backdoor tax, how student loans are a backdoor tax on especially like the middle class and upper middle class. Okay, um, and on that, if you're listening on the podcast, I'll put the link in the show notes. If you're watching on YouTube, I'll put the link um, to the, the podcast and that as well on that specific episode. But no more interest. Now, why would they not do this? Now, in that podcast I told you that I, I talked deeper into death and gave examples on of why I say it's a backdoor tax. I didn't have this number yet. The government just released this. But this goes to show you why they probably will never do this whole 0% interest thing. This is June. I'm recording this June 16th, 2021. So COVID has been, the CARES Act was implemented 13 months ago. Okay. In the CARES Act, it reduced student loan interest rates to 0%. In that time period, the report that I just saw, the government has lost $68 billion in interest payments. $68 billion. So when you want to sit there, when I say, hey, some of this stuff is common sense and this is what we should do, and then I say they're never going to do anything, that's a big effing number that they want that money. So will they actually turn this into 0% interest rate? No, they want a double dip. They want the economy to go up. They want your incomes to go up so they can tax it more. They want inflation to go up so they can tax it more. And then they want to be able to tax you with an interest rate on your student loan so they can get more of your money. At the end of the day, that, that's the system, right? However, what I'm saying is if you really want to create a system and fixes to the student loan crisis and the solutions to the student loan crisis, that would be number three is 0% interest rates. So to rehash, number one, base the cap on what you can get based on your human capital, the improvement of your human capital of getting that degree. Okay. Second one is the private lenders. Get them back in the market and give them some flexibility on how they price their loans. The third one, no more interest on student loans. Okay. Now, the last part, the fourth solution to the student loan crisis. Right now, there are eight or nine different repayment options with your student loans. They are not all necessary. We only need one. The only one we need is an income-driven repayment plan. And I would actually structure it more like an income share agreement, but with one caveat that there is a loan balance so you can actually pay it off. I'm not going to go into what ISAs are. For those of you that want to research that stuff, you can look into that. But it's not a pure ISA. Okay. Now, I'm going to go in the framework of the IDR or income during repayment plans that we already have. Most of them are 20 or 25 years long, depending on if you're an undergrad or a graduate student. Okay. What I would say is make them 15 or 20 years long. And the reason why I like the income during repayment plans is because when we project out someone's human capital, we look at the average, so there's risk to that, obviously, right? So you can be above that, you can be below that. Well, 50% are gonna be below the average, which means some people are not gonna make the income that, that's being projected. So if we say, look, the max you can get is $80,000, it might not pan out to be that good for them. So if that's the case, 
and the government really would like did this and wanted to back up their data, you would say, look, your payments are based as a percentage of your income. And you're going to pay that percentage for 15 to 20 years. Because if our projections are wrong and your income's not as high as it is, guess what? You don't have to pay more. You're not obligated to do it. And then if we're if you make way more than what we projected, guess what? That's fine. You're just paying more on a monthly basis. But instead of having to pay for 15 or 20 years, you still only owe $80,000. So let's just say you end up paying that in six years. Your loan's done in six years and it has no interest. So you're literally just paying back the $80,000, right? You can also make prepayments on this. So unlike a traditional ISA where you literally have to be in it for 15 or 20 years, once you pay how much you borrowed, you're done. So if they're telling you, hey, you, you borrowed $80,000, but all you have to do is pay $400 a, a, a month because of where your income's at. But you said, look, I, I, I kind of just want to get out of this thing. So you wanted to pay $1,500 a month and get out of it in like five or six years. Great. Do it. Get out of debt. Now, some of you are looking at this. Some of you guys are looking at finances and saying, wait, number three says there's no interest on those loans. That means there's no benefit in paying off my loans early because there's no interest. The government, this is part of number, solution number four, the government would incentivize you to make prepayments on it. What do I mean by that? Let's just say your scheduled payment is $500 a month, but you over time from X month to X month, you actually pay $5,000 over what you're expected to pay, the minimum amount. You paid more and you did that over X amount of time. And let's just say you did $5,000 in prepayments, okay? Then the government can turn around and say, hey, for, for every dollar that you prepay, we forgive 10% of your loan. That's a 10% return on your money. You're not going to beat that in the stock market. And that's guaranteed. That's guaranteed. So let's just say, for example, you prepaid $5,000. Guess what? You got $500 forgiven off your loans. You prepay $10,000, you get $1,000 taken off your loan and forgiven. Because the money's coming back faster, they're being incentivized to, to do that. So that way you can, they can get the money back out to new borrowers. So that's the way you would incentivize faster prepayments. But these would be income generating payment plans. So that way people that, for whatever reason, they couldn't afford it because their income dropped, they wouldn't need to. And you talk about things like women's rights, for example. I talk, again, because a lot of the people that we work with, especially right now, are healthcare, which is dominated by females. So we work with uh, individuals that are constantly going on maternity leave and even with dads now with paternity leave. But I'm going to focus more on maternity leave because we, oftentimes we see people leave for like five months, six months. Maybe they even want to stay home with a child for two years. That's fine too. If you do that and your income goes to zero, you don't have to make a payment. Or let's just say you graduated, right? Like here's a big thing with us right now with Fitbucks. We want to hire like engineers and data scientists, right? And guys that get their masters and whatnot. They really want to come work for us. But because we're a startup, we, we can't pay them 12 or 13 or 14 grand a, a month or whatever it may be. And they got student loans and they got, you know, this and that and all these other things. Well, they might be able to come in and say, look, if my student loans are based on my income, I can take the risk of working for a new technology company. Or I might even be able to take the risk of starting my own company because if my company is not making any income and my income is zero, my payment is zero. No, I can take that risk. So you might even see a boom in the economy because people can take the risk because their student loans payment is always based as a percentage of their income. Okay, now the last thing on that with the income journey payment plans, for those of you that have heard me talk about these in the past, you will know that the way they're currently designed, let's just say you go for the 15 or 20 years of what I'm proposing, 15 or 20 years long, 
and you, your income wasn't high enough to actually pay off the loans. So maybe there's a balance. So maybe you owe like $80,000 and you still owe like $30,000. The way the government does it is that at the end of the 20th year, the, the loans are then forgiven. So that $30,000 is gone, but you would owe taxes on it because you have to claim that as income. Okay. So the last piece I would do, do, uh, do away with is that tax, make it forgivable and it's completely gone. So if you paid for 15 or 20 years, whatever term is decided to be, let's just say it's 20 years and your income was never high enough to actually pay off the $80,000 in full, whatever's remaining gone, gone. See ya. No more. So that would be the, the fourth solution to the student loan crisis is to make the only loan you can go to an income generating payment plan. Let people know that they can pay extra. And if they do, there's a benefit. Every X amount that they pay over, they get a percentage forgiven. Okay. That is awesome. And in addition, no, no uh, interest rate on it. So you don't have to worry about your loan balance going up ever. Even if you can't make the payment and you're in default, it never goes up because you're not accruing interest and there's no tax. Like say your income doesn't meet per, like expectations and you go the full 20 years or 15 years, whatever we decide that it's going to be and your loans are forgiven. There's no tax. You made your payments. Your income didn't materialize. We were wrong about the degree. Guess what? You're not penalized for making that decision. So those are the four solutions to the student loan crisis. Again, max out how much you can take based on the increase in human capital you can expect from the degree. That's number one. Number two, make sure the private industry has the flexibility to actually price this based on risk. Okay. Number three, no more interest rates, 0% interest rates on federal loans. Number four, the only loan you can go into is an income driven repayment plan. I talked about the special features on that, such as like prepayment, like incentivization. Like if you prepay X amount, you get this amount forgiven, um, that the payments base has a percentage of your income. So it's always affordable. You can pay it off early because of the incentivization and there's no tax in case something happens and you can't make the payment. Four solutions to the student loan crisis. One big one has to do with data analytics which is the number one, basing it off of the human capital uh, increase valuation. The other three, I'd say are common sense. So thank you for listening to the podcast. If you're watching on YouTube again, thank you for watching. Subscribe for uh, more videos. Talk to you soon.